You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yo, yo, what is up? What is up? You are listening to Locked On NBA Draft, and this is your host, Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and the new director of scouting for NBA Big Board. Totally, totally uh, grateful for this opportunity. If you missed the news, Chad Ford announced this weekend that he is retiring. And for whatever reasons, he decided to pass the torch to me as his successor. So I'm really grateful and thankful for that. So I got to get used to my new title as a uh, as the director of scouting for, for NBA Big Board. But anyway, this episode is brought to you by NBA Top Shot. And shout out to each and every person that has made Locked on NBA Draft the first listen of the day. And in today's episode, we're just going to shoot the breeze. I got my guy, Erson Demar. Hopefully I pronounced that right. He is one of yeah. the hardest working dudes in NBA Draft Twitter. He's based out of Amsterdam, and I know that I get messages all day long because he is one of the few people, I probably have maybe five people that I have the notifications on, and he is one of the five people that keeps my phone buzzing all day long, and the other guys that I have the notifications on do not tweet nearly as much as he does, but it's like all day long. I don't know if he sleeps. So I'm going to ask him if he sleeps, but anyway, my guest today is Erson Demar. You can find him at E B M I R NBA on Twitter. If you love the NBA draft, if you just love basketball, if you're a Knicks fan, this is a, a must follow. Erson, what is going on? Oh, you made my day with all the compliments, man. But I'm going to start off with you, Raphael. First of all, congratulations with the new position at NBA Big Board. I think it's really big time, man. Personally, I wasn't really. Shocked that Chad Ford chose you because you're the best in the business, man. And everyone wants to be like you, you know, know the NCAA, know the international game. Especially for me personally, that's the goal I have. And, you know, regarding you putting notifications on my tweets, man, that's, um, that makes my day, how do you say that? That, yeah, that's the best compliment I've received in, in weeks, man, in all oh, honesty. No, so no, thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, it's well-deserved. I mean, you, uh, you work hard and... I'm drawn to guys that really work hard. I'm drawn to guys that eat, sleep, and breathe this NBA draft stuff. Um, there's a lot of people that want to do it. There's a lot of people that have yeah. interest in it, but not everyone is committed to it. And I, I know that you're you're committed to it, and that's why I reached out to you. We'll, we'll talk about it offline, but I definitely want to continue to collaborate with you because I just I I, I think we have similar drives and work ethics, and so. Um, you know, I think drive and work ethic will, will get you a long way. And so um, I've, I got yeah, like yeah, a little absolutely. platform right now, I guess. And I want to use that platform to, to elevate different people. But let's let's talk about the opening weekend. It was a wild weekend in the NCAA tournament. Now, in, in your case, I know you have like a, a big board. I mean, you're always coming up with content all the time. Has this opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, has it changed your mind on any prospects? And 
if so, has your big board, if you've, if you've done a big board lately or a mock draft, has anything shifted over the past three or four days? No, actually it hasn't because I'm not a big fan of the influence of the tournament on a guy's draft stock. My take personally is that no, it does, shouldn't be influencing a guy's draft stock that much based on a couple of games compared to what he's shown in the whole season. And of course, in the NCAA, you have conference games, you have lower-ranked games against lower-ranked teams. So I get the idea of a player having a great tournament getting picked higher. But for example, if a player like Candy Chandler, for example, he has played a terrific tournament for Tennessee, I think it was very unfortunate that his team lost. And he certainly won some draft stock with his play at the tournament. But for example, another example I'd like to give is Titan Washington. I think after the ankle injury this season, he hasn't been the same player that he was before that. And he has had a really bad tournament. They lost in the first game against one of the lower-ranked teams, St. Peter's, big respect for them, for beating Kentucky, but he hasn't really been showing it. So, but my personal take is it hasn't really affected his draft position for me because it's more of a... The moment I think everyone has a bad game, and unfortunately he has it at the at the worst possible time. So that, that's personally the the reasoning behind the, the tournament. I enjoy the tournament. I think it has value to evaluate where a player is before entering the NBA. But I don't weigh it that heavily compared to some other people on draft Twitter, mainly because I want to avoid taking a Kevin in the top ten, for example. A guy who hasn't had a really great success, but had a terrific tournament, boomed his draft stock, and was picked in the top 10. That's a situation I want to avoid. Who's, who did you mention? Who's the player you just talked about? Kevin Knox. Oh, Kevin Knox. All right, so let's let's go back to Kennedy Chandler and Ty Ty Washington. Who do you have as the higher prospect or the first guard taking between those two? I think if you ask me this question at the beginning of the season, it was very close. Taita Washington was the first guy I really dig deeper into, and it has been the same at all season. But I've really seen that, you know, that NBA star level potential leading guard in Candy Chandler at the beginning of the season. And he had a really hard start of the season, but his performance was, you know, declining, declining, declining. And he made it from, I think it was in the 12th or 13th spot where I have him on the 1.0 board until the early second round of my 5.0. And of course, the, 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 the tournament that he's shown, his, his performance lately doesn't really seem like a second round pick, but I don't really see that, you know, starter level point guard in him. And that's what I'm looking for in a top 10 pick, even in this class where there's not really, you know, a high end starting point guard on paper. I think. And maybe I'm being a prisoner of the moment, but I think I'm going to go with Kennedy Chandler right now. He's younger. And uh, the thing about Ty Ty that kind of concerns me is he is a 20-year-old freshman. I have brought it up before. I don't know. I don't want to get sued for ageism here. (laughs) But he is, I think he's just a few months younger than Wendell Moore, who is a junior. So, all right, I think back, okay. Yeah. A year ago at this time, he was a 19-year-old high school senior. That is old for a high school senior. Now, should that be held against him? You know, that, that is a, a matter of opinion. But I think that he's had some games this year where you're like, okay, 
this dude is going to be, you know, he he has more to his toolbox than he's been able to show. Yeah. He had the game, I think it was against Tennessee, where he was like 10 of 13 from the floor. Then he had the game against Georgia, I believe, where he had 17 assists. Or maybe it was – no, I think it was right. He had like 17 points, 17 assists. And then, you know, with Kentucky guards, you always kind of have to factor in like sometimes – or there's been a few cases where they've been a lot better in the NBA than they have been at, at Kentucky. And then you also can factor in that he was sharing the ball handling duties and he's more so of a – a, a natural playmaker than playing off the ball. But then you can say the same thing about Kennedy Chandler also. I feel like he was splitting ball handling duties. But I think right now, as of today, I'm going to lean towards Chandler because I love his ability to get downhill. I love guards that can pressure the rim and that um, just know how to disrupt the defense by, by getting in the paint. I looked at the Michigan game and I felt, and if I'm not mistaken, he had eight points at the rim. And a few of those are just pure blow buys, not necessarily needing a screen. And then once Michigan did like on pick and rolls, once they did, you know, put a big on them and they were looking to not allow him to get to the basket. He made them pay by draining pull-up jumpers. I mean, he had like nine, nine assists that game. And I thought that was like, even though it was a loss, that is a way to make your final impression as a, as a, a college athlete. Ty Ty wasn't the same. And like you said, I mean, you have to factor in his, his injury, but I think that I'm going to lean more towards speed and being able to get downhill in Chandler's favor, especially with NBA spacing. Now the team that I would love to see Chandler go to, I know you're a Knicks fan, so this is probably I guess if you were higher on him, then you'd probably want to see him in a Knicks uniform. But I actually would love to see Kennedy Chandler in Houston. I would love to see that fit. I'm not big on turning Kevin Porter Jr. into a point guard. I mean, I guess it's good for his development, but I don't think that's the best position for him. And I think with Chandler as a guy that can break the defense down and and uh, just kind of make plays for others, that's the fit that I like to see. I don't know, you know – off the top of my head, whether it's possible or not, based off of where um, I have Chandler on my board. But I'm going to go with Kennedy Chandler over Ty Ty Washington. Now, we got to take a break. And I I know I have plenty of more questions. And I enjoy talking basketball with you so much. I'm like, literally, got to make sure that I don't turn this into a two-hour episode. But before I come back to you with some questions, I want to talk to the audience about Truebill And for those that do not know what Truebill is, Truebill helps you save money. And I know we've all had the situation where we've had free trials. And basically, those free trials are a business scam to get you. Do not let the greedy corporations pocket your money and download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. And for you don't, if you don't know, Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you do not need, want, or simply forgot about. On the average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. All you have to do is link your account and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. Over 2 million users have saved 
$100 million because of truth. Think about $100 million. Well, that used to be a max NBA contract, but not right now. Guys are signing for like $200 million. But either way, $100 million is a lot of money saved. So an example is, let's say you broke up with somebody and your ex is still using your Netflix. Well, you go to Truebill and they'll let you know who is using it and you can cancel the subscription with just one tap. So check it out, truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Go right now, truebill.com slash locked on NBA and it can save you thousands of dollars per year. And I think most people would love to save thousands of dollars per year. NBA Top Shot. It is the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. You can connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of NBA fans as natural progression of fantasy sports, a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. The future of what being an NBA fan looks like, it is NFTs, trading cards. Every moment on Top Shot originates in a pack, unlike trading cards. These aren't still images on a cardboard. These are officially licensed NFTs with the greatest moments from NBA history. And some of the investors for uh, NBA Top Shot NFTs are Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, not to mention Will Smith. There's also guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Cole Anthony, Harrison Barnes. And I always hear people asking, why would I buy a highlight when I can watch it on YouTube for free? And my answer is, it is not just about watching the highlight. It's about having ownership stake in what is akin to a stock market for the NBA's greatest highlights. So if you sign up for Top Shot today, the best way to start is by getting yourself a starter pack. You can pull an NFT of a superstar like LeBron, KD, even rookies like Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley for just nine bucks. All right, this is Raphael with Locked on NBA Draft. Shout out to everyone that has made Locked on NBA Draft a priority. Now, I would suggest you check out the Locked on Now podcast. It has nightly recaps of every NBA game with analysis from our local experts. It is free and it is available wherever you get your podcast. All right. I got my guest, Erson. Hopefully I, I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. All right. Is there anybody else that stood yes, out to you? That, that you think had a great NCAA tournament and may have helped their draft stock, even though you say you don't put a lot of emphasis on the NCAA tournament, but do you think there's someone that has really helped themselves with their play? Yeah, definitely. I think if you look at Miami, Isaiah Wong, I think he has been terrific, man. I think especially in deciding games, the big game against Auburn, against Jabari Smith, the two-way potential superstar, and he was giving him his own medicine, man, creating his own offense. He had this ferocious dunk on him. I think in, in terms of a third-year player, I think he has taught me a wise lesson that I'm going to take into next season. That At the beginning of the season, I was making a list of the prospects I was going to put a lot of time into. Isaiah's, Isaiah Wong's lid, they popped up. I was looking at his physical profile and... It wasn't really moving me from, it wasn't really oppressive. So I was like, I'm going to take that guy lower on the list. But he has been outstanding this season for Miami. And I think in the tournament is really where he has shown his value so far in terms of shot creation, attacking the rim. I think in the, I haven't seen all positions, but what I've seen is that he understands the rotations very well. And he was coached very well. I think especially in the Auburn game that he was... 
he was his speed was used in a proper way just to get him the looks, and he was converting them. And I think Isaiah Wong is definitely, although I'm not a big fan of draft stocks being improved after a good tournament, but he has definitely put his name out on the market. I think. Yeah, I think if I at the top of my head a grade on him, I think a second round pick, mid second round pick is right eyes closed. I will take him right there. Yeah, I know Richard Stamen, aka Mr. Mavs Magic Draft. He has been talking about Isaiah Wong for three years now. So I know after that big performance against Auburn, he kind of felt like it's justifiable to have him as a, a top forty pick. I've I mean, I can't say that I've been the biggest fan of Wong. I haven't spent a lot of time watching his film. I am familiar with him. Um, I do remember, like, watching some full games last year. I have a friend, um, um, Harlan Beverly, who plays for Miami, and Harlan's out this year. But um, I have, you know, paid a lot of attention to Wong. He's a guy that I think, man, he's, he's good at creating his own shot. He's a scorer. He's definitely a bucket. And he is someone that, I mean, I can see him sticking in the NBA. And then he's someone that I can also see him being like a star in Europe. And if not yeah. Europe, then I could see him averaging like 30 points a game in China somewhere. He definitely has everything that, that you look for in, in a score. He's going to make a lot of money playing basketball. But I, I definitely think that he has helped him self this you know in, in this draft class especially against auburn everybody's paying attention to jabari smith all right now yeah. next question let's, let's stay on, on on that particular game were there any concerns that popped out to you in that particular game about jabari smith or walker kessler i gotta make sure i said his name correctly because i always feel like yeah, i remember it then at the uh, last minute I, I, I flip it yeah so was there anything in that game? Was it just a bad game or, or do you feel like maybe they got exposed a little bit? Yeah, I think if you look at the game on the, the, at the coach's perspective, I think the Miami coach really outcoached Auburn. And I think he was really prepared, really did his homework well, how to, you know, close out Jabari Smith. And I think Jabari Smith is most of a face-off guy. is a is pure, better light on his jumper. He isn't really getting to the rim that much. He had one very flashy dunk, but if you look at his overall season, he is you know getting to the rim with ease despite being you know six ten, six eleven. So that's the knock that the people who don't have him in the top three have regarding him. I had him in number two, I think, for the almost the whole season because I really believe in his two way potential as a superstar. But in that particular game, and I think that's you know the part where he's you know, kind of showed a bad part of himself is that you know in, in the NBA the scouting reports are in so much detail they even know I'm, I think the color of the the boxer shorts you're wearing man they, these guys know everything about you and that game really showed how to close out Jabari Smith and make him ineffective in the game and take advantage of it you know so I think Isaiah Wong um, a guy who isn't really had you know a lot of exposure out there really. Gave him his own medicine. I think that's the part where you know Jabari Smith gave a sign to the world, and this guy is stoppable despite him showing that he's almost unstoppable for the whole season. But I think it's more of a coaching thing than it's regarding Jabari Smith as a potential NBA superstar in the future. So that's the, you know the pass I'll give him. But I think he's really given another side of himself because if you look at this guy the whole season, you think he's a, he's a machine, he's unstoppable. But he was stoppable. 
by good coaching. And that's what he's going to face a lot in the NBA. All right, real quick, I need to talk to the audience about Bet Online. And it is because the NCAA tournament was halfway over, but it's finally upon us. Guys like me and Erickson and other college basketball junkies have been waiting for this moment. But if you want all the latest odds, contests, and player props, betonline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the absolute best spot for all of your sports scores, your podcasts, and news this season. And it is not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. And BetOnline is where the game starts. All right. Last segment, I wanted to hear the second part of the question. What about Walker Kessler? Now, do you think that it was just a, a matter of being outcoached? Or do you think some of his weaknesses were also exposed in this game against Miami? I'm not entirely sure of that because I was really focusing on a couple of guys in that game. There was mostly Isaiah Wong and it was mostly Jabari Smith. But what I did catch is that I think Auburn as a team that's giving this really pick and roll plays. And what I've seen is they weren't really effective in the same pick and roll plays they were dominating the whole season with Auburn. So I'm not sure if that's personally to walk Kessel or that's again being a coach who did his homework very well and know how to limit possessions that these guys are getting. Yeah. So regarding Walker Kessler, I'm going to give the neutral answer because I wasn't really focusing that much as Walker Kessler because I was mainly curious how Jabari Smith was going to dominate the whole tournament and win it eventually, but it didn't happen. So didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah. I've seen like, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you because I've seen some people feel like it was their guard play that really hurt Jabari and Walker as opposed to not just them having a bad game, but they just didn't feel like the guards have were getting them in the best positions. And then some people felt like that has been the case all season and it just got exposed by Miami's defense. All right. Here's a question that I've been saving for you. And I, one of the things I, I like and admire about you is you are not afraid to express your opinion, even if it does not go with the consensus and you made a, a, or you posted a tweet, I think it was maybe earlier last week, and I, I favored it, and it was about Jaden Hardy, and you are willing to live and die on this hill, that yeah. Jaden Hardy is better than Johnny Davis. All right, the floor is yours. T- tell me why you're higher on Hardy, despite the fact that he had some pretty bad numbers across the board as far as efficiency. I mean, the basic numbers look good. He's scoring, but the percentages are, are, are not pretty, despite the team kind of being set up for him to succeed, at least in my opinion. I feel like if you're a high school guy, you're the, the main attraction or, or you're like the top guy that the G League Ignite sign, they're going to feature you <laughs> probably even more than a college would in a sense. And then Johnny Davis had a, a, a great year for Wisconsin. But tell me, why do you have Hardy over Johnny Davis? I think, first of all, and that's the main reason why that I never lost hope in Jaden Hardy, he made the jump from high school to the pros in the G League Ignite. And the G League Ignite is not a good team. I think their spacing is not good. There's not a good 
testimony of what's going to wait for him in the NBA. But on the other hand, I think shot selection, that's something that's fixable in the NBA. Because if I look at Jaden Hardy's biggest USPs for me, it's his continuous change of pace and his burst. I think he's a very explosive player that can get to any spot on the court that he has in mind. But he is not mature this game enough to make the right decisions to either make a play for other or go to the bucket hard down downhill and finish through contact, which he showed to me that he can do that. But I think the shot selection was shady a lot. I think especially in the during the showcase before the G League night tour began, Jaden Hart was really exposed as a high usage play who wasn't efficient, but he was making the reads, but he wasn't executing them. So that was the reason why I always kept like, I'm going to take a look at this guy next game, next game. I'm not going to give up on him. Of course, it's personally biased because I've taken a lot of time to see this guy play and the games are free on YouTube, so why shouldn't I? And they're correlating to, correlation to Johnny Davis. He's a year two player at a collegiate level. I think the level of competition is different. And he was given a bigger role because he was playing a lesser role last season. And now he's playing at 30% usage, getting you know, NBA star usage in college. And he was dominating. I think Johnny Davis, he's a legit NBA prospect. I don't see a number one or a number two option in Johnny Davis in the NBA. I see him as a reliable high-end role player because his defense is locked down defense. He can give you that when he needs it. And he's proven to me in those two Jaden Ivey games that he's a legit NBA prospect. The way he Kind of locked him down. He made life hard for me. He can't 100% stop Jaden Hardy, but he did a great job defensively against him. But offensively, he's getting his own looks. But I'm too much of an analytics guy to to go with the flow, you know, because I see most people have him in that top eight. And I think if you're going to pick a top eight player, that's the number one or number two option down the stretch on a winning team. That's what you're looking for. I don't you think, think John so? Davis is You that. think so? I mean, I think if you go down every NBA draft and you look at all the players that were, let's say, selected eighth in the last 10 years, not too many of those guys are, are number ones. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, and it also depends on how strong the draft class is. Now, I don't, I mean, of course, best case scenario, you know, he ends up being a number one, but I don't know if you select him at number eight, thinking that he is going to be your, your number one guy. Here's a question for you. How do you feel about Johnny Davis's style of play as it fits in today's NBA? He relies heavily, at least in my opinion, he relies heavily on contested pull-up jumpers, kind of a reluctant shooter from three. He doesn't shoot the greatest percentage. I think his greatest asset to me is his hustle, his energy. I mean, he cuts hard. I love seeing guys like move off the ball, cut with a, I mean, with a purpose and I think he makes up for what he may lack in like offensive creativity off the bounce and outside shooting. He makes up for it with his hustle. I love how he likes to, to post up smaller guards. I'm just a huge fan of point guard or guard yeah. post play. Now I, I do think that Jaden Hardy has a sexier game in a sense, because you can easily be wild with his ability to create space and, generate open looks for himself but then again you have to look at the numbers and be like okay yeah is he you know is he just one of these guys that I mean he is bringing the same style of play from AU and to to the pros so anyway that's kind of a long-winded question but anyway 
What are your thoughts on Johnny Davis's style of play as a pro? Are you, are there any concerns for you there? I think you gave the large large concern, the large amount of those concerns because he's living too much in the mid range, as you say, is too much of those pull up contested pull up jumpers, and in the NBA, the amount of the chance of those falling, I think, is very little because for a reason, all those analytics guys are pushing avoid the mid-range. I think Kevin Durant, the king of the mid-range game, the Martin Rosen, but those guys are on a whole other level. I don't see that talent level on Johnny Davis, even down the stretch. But the value I see in Johnny Davis, and that's why I have him as a late lottery pick, he gives you that lockdown defense, I should say. He's a real hustler. He's, you know, it's very kind of cliche to say that he gives 100%. He wants it more, but that guy really no, wants he's it more a competitor. He's on the pitch. Yeah, he he's is a competitor. A competitor. He's a winner. Yeah. Yeah. He's a winner, but you know, being a winner doesn't mean that those contested jumpers are going to fall. I think the biggest value I see in Johnny Davis is what he's going to bring on the defense because on the offensive end, because those are the young players who are going to make mistakes. But I think he's getting downhill, but he's stopping too much in the mid range and pulls up from there. Because I, what I've seen from him is that he can get downhill, but he's so used to shooting it from the mid range that he's okay, I'm going to pull up from here to get an open look. And in a good game, you know, you can go 10 for 12 and everything's good. But we've seen, especially in the tournament, that in terms of efficiency, it wasn't good, man. He was 4 for 16 in the game that they lost, 0 for 7 from deep. Because in the games that matter, the, the, he's the number one guy who's going to pop one opponent's scouting report. And you got to get, you got to handle those situations. So you're going to be, you know, a number one or number two option on a on winning team further down your career. And of course, I think. That's because I'm going to give him a pass on this one because I think the collegiate level doesn't tell the whole story. It can translate a lot different with NBA space. But from yeah. what I've seen from him compared to Jaden Hardy, especially with the pro reps versus the collegiate reps on one hand, and, you know, as to say, as the sexier moves, I think he can get downhill, he can get open looks, but he's, especially in the last six or seven games for the United, he's getting good looks for others as well, from pick and roll or from basically... You know, with his burst getting past the guy and even feeding Michael Foss an open look and he's converting him this time. So even he's looking good. So that was the reason because I in the long term, Jaden Hardy, in my opinion, has you know the skill set, but he needs to mature his game to be a good number two option, you know, winning team. That's maybe too optimistic, but that's the future I see for him. I have him at number nine on my big board. As, as you say, the number one or number two option is how much of those guys are going to be being selected at the eighth or the ninth pick. Not as many, but I think Jaden Hardy is really an exceptional talent in terms of how he plays with his pace, despite being 20 years old when he enters the league, and how you can be a smart player and get past the guy. And have a, a different method to do it the second time and the third time because that's the biggest skills that he's going to bring to the table. And for Johnny Davis, I think his defense and his hustle are going to keep him in the league for a long time, make him a rich man. He's going to get paid big bucks even down the stretch when he completes his four years and maybe signs for other team or stays with the team because he's going to get that high-end rotational role on a winning team. I think that's the ceiling I have for him and that's a fair value for a late lottery pick. And I'm not really, you know, going with the flow that he's a game changer on both ends of the floor. Right? Defensively, he has a bigger chance to be a legit NBA star, maybe get an all-defensive team than he's ever going to 
be selected to an all NBA team, potentially, in my opinion. All right, that is Erson Demar. All right, before I go, thank you for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. I know this is the third time I've said that. But now, check out the Locked On experts and the biggest stories in the NBA every Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes. Check it out, Locked On NBA. It is free wherever you get your podcast. But once again, thank you for listening to Locked On NBA Draft. I guess that's the fourth time I've said that. This is Rafael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies, the new director of scouting for NBA Big Boarders, Erickson Demar. You can find his tweets, and he's tweeting, at least in my opinion, seems like 24-7, at E-D-E-M-I-R-N-B-A on Twitter. Erickson, thanks again for coming on. This is Rafael. We are out.